Welcome to the Dacus Report, hosted by Pacific Justice Institute founder and president Brad Dacus. For 25 years, PJI has counseled, represented, and defended people whose religious freedoms, parental rights, or sanctity of life have been obstructed or violated, all free of charge. We leave no one behind and level the playing field for Americans as they are subjected to the tyranny of the powerful. Now, here's Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. On today's show, we're going to talk about uh, the many cases against people of faith being purged from their jobs because of their faith and what we at Pacific Justice Institute are doing about it. For the first half of the show, I'd like to talk about what's happening specifically in Maryland, just outside the nation's capital. And to help me do that, I'd like to bring on now our attorney who heads up our office there in Maryland for Pacific Justice Institute, Attorney Lorna Henry. Lorna, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Well, we're so glad to have you on our team at PJI. Uh, You've been up and running and just uh, having a real impact there uh, for people in Maryland and actually also beyond. And we're going to talk about some of that in the the second half of the show. But uh, first, let's talk about Maryland and uh, this new trans health law. what, um, what tell us about this law, uh, Lorna? I think this is very, very disturbing. Right. So, uh, unfortunately, on January 1st of this year, uh, a new law became effective in Maryland called the Trans Health Equity Act. And under this law, um, Maryland's Medicaid program is now required to pay for uh, gender affirming care for transgender persons. And so it expands the services available. And apparently this is a growing trend because now Maryland is one of 26 states now requiring their Medicaid programs to do this. Wow, so they actually require this this uh, treatment. Practically speaking, now we're, we're talking about those over the age of 18? Correct. Okay, uh, what about those under the age of 18? It does not allow treatment for those under 18. So it's only for adults enrolled in Medicaid. And there's some other criteria, like they have to have continuous hormone treatment for 12 months. Um, So, and they have to be diagnosed with gender dysphoria. And I think um, there has to be two medical professionals that refer this treatment. But the disturbing thing is that the state is now paying for such treatments as cosmetic surgery for the face, puberty blockers. This is not helping uh, the mental health of the transgender community. This is actually um, hurting them and causing more harm than good. Wow. I mean, this is really disturbing. So our, our tax dollars basically are paying for adults or people like 18 and over. And, you know, a lot of them are still trying to figure out life for themselves, 18, 19, 20, 21. Um, we're paying for them to do something destructive to their body uh, physically. It doesn't resolve anything mentally. Uh, and there's uh, almost a, a presumption that if they have gender identity dysphoria, then this is what they need to do. But uh, my understanding is that many laws across the country, including like California, New Jersey, uh, and many other, especially blue states, liberal states, actually even make it illegal, illegal for people to get counseling 
or specifically for minors to be able to get counseling to resolve and get rid of their dysphoria, to get rid of their confusion that is uh, so entangled in them and destroying them. Uh, you know, I, I find this so, so concerning. Is there, is there anything else um, that is notable about this law, Lorna, that we should be aware of? I will say that um, on a positive note about this law, it does also require um, services for reversing gender-affirming care. So we see that a, a number of people are coming out saying, I got this treatment when I was a minor. This was a bad idea. I want to detransition. And so Medicare must also pay for individuals who want to detransition and reverse the prior gender-affirming care. Well, that is a, a little silver lining to that legislation, uh, considering the fact that the liberal left uh, want to basically give no even recognition to the existence of people who want to say, uh, yeah, this was not a good idea. Instead, they just want to affirm, affirm, affirm. That's all their language. Let's affirm. But if it turns out that it's a mistake, they say, no, no, there is no mistake. Um, there, there is no, no, the confusion is, is resolute. It's, it's who you are. Uh, so when it's good that this law at least recognizes the fact that these people are out there. My understanding, Lorna, is that I talked to one psychiatrist about this. Uh, my understanding is about one in five already uh, have, who have uh, made the transition, have already come out and said, yeah, uh, this was a, a big mistake. I, I want to transition. I need to transition. Uh, or I feel like I, I'm, I'm looking into transitioning. This is very significant because it shows how, how fragile, how volatile, and how dangerous this procedure is, this major physical, permanent sterilization, permanent things happening to the human body with regards to a mental condition that is, in fact, very temporal. I also uh, learned, Lorna, that if children, minors, are just left alone, who have gender identity for if they're just left alone, then uh, one study says 70%, another one says 85-plus percent of these kids will eventually, just left alone, will no longer have the dysphoria, will no longer be confused by the time they graduate from high school. So with those kind of stats, there's no reason that anyone under the age of 18, I think under the age of 26 for that matter, um, should be able to have this kind of treatment. And in fact, I, I still call it malpractice for those who are adults because it is a mental condition and it doesn't reduce suicide or depression for people who have that condition even as adults. Uh, so I'm glad at least it has that, that little silver lining, if you will, um, to at least accommodate and recognize that this is uh, not a, a foolproof procedure. Maryland, I understand, has a new governor, right, Lorna? Yes, we have a new governor. And um, interestingly, um, he was elected last year. Prior to that, we the prior administration was in place for eight years and they were conservative, fairly conservative. Uh, this new governor, on the other hand, is the complete opposite. And so um, it's kind of unfortunate. Just to give a little background, Maryland is a state of about 6 million people. And so some estimates say there's about a half a million LGBTQ individuals, 90, about 100,000 or so that are transgender. So we do have a sizable population. And one of his goals and objectives has been to push 
uh, a very rigorous uh, agenda for the transgender community. He um, he proclaimed an international transgender visibility day in Maryland in March. Um, he signed into law right away this legislation we just discussed, the Trans Health Equity Act, and he has made it his goal to push, you know, tra the transgender agenda, abortion rights is very, very disturbing, and it's a complete reversal of what we in Maryland experienced for almost a decade prior. Wow. Uh, th these, these numbers, I want to make sure I got these right. So you say there's about 6 million people in Maryland. Correct. But uh, there's 100,000 that have actually done the procedure, about 100,000 transgenders. Well, Is that right? Well, no, not there's a there's a hundred thousand that would identify themselves as transgender. Okay, okay. Yes, well, identify. Okay, but identify still. That's uh, that's a huge number. Yes, I, it is. And if we were to go back, say, ten, twenty years ago, that number wouldn't even be there. Uh, it's, I think, a lot of this personally is a result of the public schools uh, nurturing and encouraging. And I heard one stat is that the majority of people who call themselves transgender are under the age of 30, uh, that uh, the overall majority are under the age of 30. So that's, that's very concerning about, we're talking about young people here getting their lives really messed up in the wrong direction, uh, encouraged uh, quite a bit by public schools. Uh, is that your take? I know it's the way it is in California. Is that what we see in Maryland, uh, public schools actually nurturing this and encouraging this through their policies and curriculum? Absolutely. Maryland is on board with, and very similar to some states like California and New York. They allow um, transgender um, athletes to participate in sports based on the gender they identify with. Some counties have permitted transgender individuals to use the bathroom of their choice. So the public school system in Maryland is apparently steadily declining. It's a big concern. So, yes, we see this in Maryland as well. Now, you say declining. Uh, do you mean that the, uh, in terms of quality and, and ethics and all that, I see that definitely declining. Is it also manifesting itself, do you know, in terms of uh, the, uh, the number enrolled in the public schools in Maryland? Uh, I understand that homeschooling is booming. Church homeschool co-ops, which we at PJI help to, uh, to, to uh, bring into existence in, in churches across America, that's booming. Private schools, I know on the West Coast, uh, most of them, almost all of them I've talked to, have a long waiting list of parents just desperate to get their kids out of government schools, government education and uh, public schools. So uh, is that what you see happening in Maryland? Uh, what's, what's taking place there? It is so interesting you asked me that because a couple of days ago, I actually looked up homeschooling numbers. I was curious. And since the pandemic in 2020, the number of homeschoolers has increased rapidly. Um, if I recall correctly, there was a, a small percentage of Marylanders who were homeschooling. It was in the single digits. But um, since COVID, I believe there was an increase of, if I recall correctly, maybe 10,000, 15,000. It was a very sizable number and it's growing. So yes, homeschooling is booming here in Maryland. Yeah, Maryland, I consider a dark blue state, maybe not as dark as New York or California, but based on the policies and what's happening in the public schools, it might as, uh, people might as well think of it that way. If, if anyone out there is 
planning on leaving California, New York, and and with your kids and moving to Maryland, well, you'll be safer. I, I, my advice is don't go to Maryland. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, Tennessee, North Carolina, Florida, Texas, uh, Oklahoma. Those are much better states. Arkansas, much better states uh, for uh, rearing your children. And at least that's my, my two cents on that. And, uh, but it's, uh, when it comes to, to families, it's, you know, one thing for people to move to a state to retire, the kids are grown, um, you know, that's, that's one thing. But, you know, when you have children and you're raising up children, there's a, you know, and the, the idea of having them in public schools, even in red states, um, that can be very, very problematic. There's no way if I lived in Texas, I'd have my uh, children, if, I, if they were young enough, uh, enrolled in the Dallas uh, Independent School District or out of Houston or Austin. Uh, those are school districts that are very liberal, very woke, very um, with an anti-Christian, anti-Jewish, anti-biblical worldview, uh, from what I've understood, from what I understand. So I, I think people uh, need to understand that it's not just uh, New York and California that are going off the edge. It's it's other states as well, and it's, as far as schools, it looks like Maryland is in that same category, unfortunately. Did you know that PJI's Church Finds Its Voice initiative is a huge success and coming alongside pastors to encourage them to get all their congregants registered to vote and then to vote biblically in every election for candidates that share the Christian worldview and commit to serve their constituents with that mindset. We communicate regularly with over 3,000 pastors and we do it all free of charge. Keep current on PJI's work on all the legal challenges we face on a daily basis by signing up for our Legal Insider email newsletter at pji.org. Now, back to the Dacus Report. Welcome back. Now, I'd like to bring back, if I can, uh, Lorna Henry, the attorney who heads up the Office for Pacific Justice Institute there in Maryland, I guess sort of just outside of Baltimore, right? Correct, yes. You know, when we, um, we have a lot of cases in Maryland as well as other places dealing with Title VII, and, and that's dealing with specifically in our context uh, where for people who are being discriminated against because of their faith. Can you sort of give an, a, uh, an overview of Title VII as simple as you can, uh, which is sometimes hard for attorneys to do, I know. Uh, <laughs> we, we bring in some of those Latin terminology and stuff, and... Uh, but as simple as you can for uh, mom and pop out there who just want to sort of understand uh, what, what it's there for and, and how it can help them. Okay, so Title Seven deals with workplace discrimination, employment discrimination. And so an employer cannot discriminate against um, their employee or someone seeking to become an employee on the basis of race, religion, sex, national origin, um, and if for our for a lot of our clients, if they are being discriminated against due to uh, religion, then the the employee can request a religious accommodation by showing they have a sincerely held religious belief, and the employer will then evaluate whether an accommodation would would cause an undue hardship. Okay, so the employer has an obligation to sit down and try to find a, a, a way, if possible, to accommodate that person's faith, right? Correct. Okay, so if the employer just says, 
uh, this is our mandate. You have to do X, Y, and Z. In this case, in many cases, uh, let's say, um, you know, use a, a pronoun different than what someone actually is, irrespective of if they just, that's it. Or other cases we have dealing with people fired because of their job, because of the vaccine, a very controversial quote-unquote vaccine mandate. They have to at least sit down and talk to the employee to, to, to try to make a good faith effort uh, to work it out, right? But, Correct. All right, but we don't, <laughs> we don't see that often uh, in, uh, across the country, especially with the mandates from Dr. Fauci and some of these uh, HR departments and some of these large companies and governmental agencies. It's been very mind-boggling because Title VII is very, very clear um, in, in case law. You have to show and make a good faith effort to reasonably accommodate. What else should people keep in mind regarding Title VII? Well, it deals with not just, um, you know, employees who are currently working. It deals with hiring, firing, retaliation, and it applies to any employer, public or private, that has at least 15 employees. Um, so those are things that you want to keep in mind. And I understand some states, like California, um, they actually say, no, no, we're going to go down to five employees, so, so it, it can be even uh, more uh, arduous and restrictive uh, and applicable uh, to, um, to even smaller businesses in some states. But on a federal level, uh, 15, uh, 15 or more employees is what you said. Uh, that's still going to you know, apply to a, a lot of businesses out there if you count all the people who are working for the business at different times and different shifts. Uh, are there many cases or are there any cases that have been brought um, before the courts in Maryland regarding the uh, transgender rights? Yes. So this was a very huge win for religious institutions in Maryland. There was a case last year. It was called Doe versus Catholic Relief Services. And this is a Christian organization that helps poor and needy individuals overseas. And in, in that particular case, um, the... Um, the highest court in Maryland uh, ruled that what the Supreme Court held in Bostock v. Clayton County regarding um, sexual orientation being evaluated as sex discrimination, the court in Maryland said, no, that is not the case. Sexual orientation is not, or sex, sexual discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation is not the same as discrimination on the basis of sex. Those are two different, um, um, two different things, and you cannot conflate the two. And so in this particular case, the religious organization was able to, um, in this particular case, they didn't want to provide marital benefits to the, their employee's partner once they found out the partner was in a same-sex marriage, and that decision was upheld as legitimate. It seems that there should be, as far as I'm concerned, an automatic exemption because it sounds like this is a, a religious organization, Catholic Relief Services. It seems that there should be an automatic First Amendment free exercise clause here uh, protecting religious institutions to be able to practice and carry out their faith. Um, but it's, uh, you know, this, uh, it's an interesting decision uh, you know, how do you think this case may, how, do you, how does this case make its way to the Maryland Supreme Court? How did it even get there? 
Well, the 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 gentleman that worked for Catholic Relief Services first, he um, tried to discuss with the organization some sort of um, alternative plan, but they couldn't agree to it. And so then he went to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and um, got a right to sue letter and then sued them in uh, federal district court. And the trial judge initially um, granted the employee's motion for summary judgment, but he presented three questions that he wanted the Maryland Supreme Court to answer in light of the Bostock ruling. And that was, one of the three was, is sexual orientation equivalent to sex for the purpose of uh, evaluating discrimination? And then when the Supreme Court reviewed that question, they said, it is not the same and that the trial judge erred and they overturned the ruling against the 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 uh, religious institution. And so that's, you know, that's how that unfolded. And, and I'm very happy that even though the trial judge granted the motion, he still asked the higher court to look at these issues and realize that he ruled in error. Wow. OK, so that's a, that's a good thing for businesses uh, of, of faith or people of convictions, because this precedent seemingly would apply not just to religious businesses in Maryland or religious charities, uh, like the one we talked about, Catholic Relief Services, but it seems like it would also apply to privately owned for-profit businesses as well, being protected from um, and having yes. to be forced to you know, hire a transgender individual that could potentially cost the business a lot of money, especially if they're applying for a position that has a lot of uh, interaction with, with customers and clients that might feel very uncomfortable, um, like a, maybe a, a waiter in a, in a restaurant, a fine restaurant, or a, um, a, a, a car salesman. I, mean, I can see there's some occupations in particular that could be very uh, costly for a business. Right, and this, this, um, this particular case looked at two of the state's anti-discrimination laws, one of which is the Maryland Fair Employment Practices Act. So yes, this ruling goes way beyond just a religious institution. It covers, like you mentioned, you know, for-profit businesses that, um, you know, don't want to um, have to consider uh, discrimination based on sexual orientation the same as sex, because those are two different things. Yeah. yeah, interesting, interesting. I know the Biden administration has tried to apply that federal Bostock decision uh, to uh, be much broader, to apply to public schools, universities, um, you know, to deal with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of issues uh, and a lot and much, much broader than what the case law actually was, the federal case law. Uh, and I'm uh, hopeful that uh, he will not. Uh, the administration will not prevail in in uh, pushing this uh, this doctrine, if you will, uh, down the throats of uh, so many government schools, and particularly in communities that uh, that don't want to be forced to have to compromise uh, their convictions, and especially issues of decency. You know, mm. boys going in girls' locker rooms. I mean, his administration has tried to apply that that case law dealing with discrimination and saying, ah, see, it applies to you know boys. You have to let a gender-confused boy, teenage boy, going to girls' locker rooms 
strip in front of the girls, be naked in front of the girls, look at the girls while they're naked getting out of the showers. I mean, that's really sick. In fact, I know the administration even threatened to uh, pull federal funding for any public school, and almost all public schools get some federal funding, uh, unless they bow the knee to this uh, hideous, uh, very evil and sick uh, policy that um, is being pushed uh, courtesy of a, a twisted interpretation of the Bostock versus Clayton County uh, decision. That's my two cents. Uh, I'm just uh, I'm concerned about that, and I know there's a lot of parents out there concerned as well. Uh, but um, uh, that's I'm glad to hear the, the Maryland Supreme Court ruled the way they did. Uh, I also um, want to encourage people once again to invite our attorneys out there to speak. We they, they speak without charge, folks. They're there. We're, they're all over the country. You know, your community group, your political group, your church group, whatever, we're there. We'd love to book and schedule that, and you can help make that possible. If you're part of a group, uh, try to uh, investigate having one of our attorneys come. We would love to do that. We want to empower. We want to educate. We want to inspire. Thank you again, Lorna, for being a part of our team, and we really appreciate you and uh, all you're doing. We would love the opportunity to continue to serve you. Just visit pji.org and click the Legal Insider button to sign up for our email newsletter. At PJI, we help individual employees, employers, business owners, pastors, students, citizens of every stripe through our practical resources, counsel, representation, and defense, all free of charge at pji.org. PJI is an island of stability and assurance in our ever-churning sea of legal and societal chaos. We are here for you. So folks, just remember, it's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms.